Our scripture that was read came from Mark's Gospel, the fourth chapter, reading the 35th through the 41st verses. But I just want to lift up right now the 37th verse, and it reads, A great gale arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. I want to turn your attention also to another text of scripture, and this is found in Jonah, the first chapter, and the fourth through the sixth verses. Reading Jonah, we find these words picking up at the fourth verse. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen sound asleep. In the Mark text, the question that the disciples asked Jesus after he had calmed the storm, they asked the question, who then is this, that even the winds and the rains obey him? In the Jonah text, the sailors on the ship said to Jonah, get up and call your God. Two different texts speaking about storms ravaging a boat and someone asleep. Being born in Jamaica, I have seen my share of fierce storms. I can remember one storm in particular named Gilbert that was a Category 5 storm, and it hit the island with sustained winds upwards of 125 miles per hour. This storm, like Katrina and Sandy, caused so much damage that we all wondered if we were ever going to be able to pick up the pieces and return to our normal way of life. Storms of this sort are considered anomalies or freak storms. They are unusual and often come about when certain atmospheric conditions are perfectly aligned so that the conditions make for this freak of nature. These kinds of storms, whenever they occur, they are rare and they are deadly. The text that I've read indicated such storms. Now it's very easy to get the impression that the focal point of these texts are the storms. And while these storms play a very prominent role in the text and are often the cause of much despair, there is a subtlety in these texts that I want to bring to your attention as I preach this message today. You see, in all these texts, there is a fierce storm. In these two texts, there is a need for relief from the storm. And in these two texts, there is a calming of the storm. So there is a fierce storm. There is a need for relief from the storm. And then there is a calming of the storm. But prior to the calming of the storm, there is an appeal made to someone 
that the text tells us is on the ship. There is someone on the ship who is not phased by this raging storm. There is someone on the ship who does not seem to care about what is happening to the people on this ship. There is someone on the ship who seems to be the solution to the problem, but this someone on this ship, we're told, is fast asleep. Why is this person sleeping in the midst of so fierce a storm is a mystery. And we ask ourselves the question even today as we look at this pandemic season and even all of the brutalities and everything going on around us, storms that are raging, it seems to me that someone is asleep while the storm is raging. So for a thought this morning, I want to talk about this unusual sleeping person on a ship during this raging storm. And on such, I'll be preaching from the subject matter, the sleeping lion. The sleeping lion. Let us pray. Eternal God, our Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, settle now, my spirit, as I come now to preach your holy word. Father, you know what has been prepared, and you know what your people need to hear during this season. So, Father, I do not pretend to have the answers to any of the questions or even the authority or ability to calm the storms that are in the lives of your people, but you do. And so, Father, we call upon you now, Holy Spirit, to come now and use this humble preacher now to preach a message, Lord, that may calm even some of the storms in the lives of your people. Bless now this word, we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. On the night of June 17, 2015, at about 9 p.m., a fierce storm of immense proportions that could not have been predicted hit the Bible study in the basement of the Emmanuel AME Church in South Carolina. This storm, this freak of nature, which was shaped and formed by the combination of atmospheric conditions such as undereducation, hate, and white supremacy, took the lives of nine people on board a ship called Emmanuel. When this storm took out those in the ship called Emmanuel, it also took out their captain that was leading the Bible study. But unlike Hurricanes Gilbert and Sandy and Katrina, I'd love to be able to tell you that this kind of storm is rare. But the truth is there exists in this nation a system that is fertile soil which is conducive to developing these kinds of storms with, sad to say, utter regularity. This system is called cultural conditioning. And it is so much a part of the fabric of our society's major institutions that if you are not careful, you will not be able to identify it because of its subtlety. According to radio talk show host, one of my favorite, Joe Madison, he describes cultural conditioning, and I quote, as the belief in America that white is superior, black is inferior, and the manifestation of that cultural conditioning is that black people are undervalued, underestimated, 
and marginalized. What this cultural conditioning does is that it separates people into groups of social dominance that is both racial and economic. And you can only identify the dominant group whenever there is a disruption to the system. Let me illustrate. When a white male can walk into the Atlanta airport, one of the most busiest airports in the nation, with a loaded AR-15 automatic rifle, and no one challenges him, yet a young black male taking a BB gun off of the shelf in a Walmart store is shot and killed, we have cultural conditioning. When a 21-year-old white male shoots up a church in Bible study, killing nine nice people, as he calls them, then escapes and is arrested without any signs of police brutality, yet a 25-year-old black man suffers a fatal spinal injury while being transported in the back of a police van, we have cultural conditioning. When a police officer can kneel on the neck of a non-threatening black man for eight minutes and 46 seconds, killing him, and the dominant culture is more concerned about someone kneeling in protest at the flag, we have cultural conditioning. This cultural conditioning is an atmospheric system that uses hate, ignorance, classism, privilege, and economics to produce massive storms like the one that tossed the Emmanuel ship into a state of chaos. This particular cultural conditioning atmospheric system has as its most potent effect a storm by the name of racism. Make no mistake about it, that's what it is. It is real, and since it has gone unchecked for so long, every now and then, it raises up its ugly head and continues to blow in. It blew in during the genocide of Native Americans. It blew in during slavery. It blew in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and through the Jim Crow era. It blew in down in Sanford on a young man by the name of Trayvon Martin. It, it blew in in Staten Island on Eric Garner. It, it, it blew in in Charleston, South Carolina with the Emanuel ship. It blew in on Ahmaud Arbery in Glynn County, Georgia, Breonna Taylor in Louisville, Kentucky, and in Minneapolis on George Floyd. And now it blows in again on Rayshard Brooks in Atlanta, Georgia, and continues to blow even last night in a rally in Tulsa. This storm rages. And this storm takes no prisoners as it tosses to and fro all those who are caught up in its draft. This is a fierce storm. Make no mistake about it. And as a nation, some try to pretend that it does not exist, thinking that it will just go away because we had a black president. Well, let me tell you, brothers and sisters, plainly and simply, that only made the storm rage even more. It was fuel to that storm. The atmospheric conditions were perfect for that storm to send in right now what seems to be its most vicious, vicious assailant in the form of COVID-45. 
Now, lest there be any confusion about what I am talking about, the storm is not the 21-year-old that shot up the church and killed the nine people or the police officer that took the life of George Floyd or countless other instances of senseless killings. This storm that I'm talking about is an oppressive system in society, and its only purpose is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. It is a storm that is deliberately and intentionally orchestrated by Satan himself and was sent to try and destroy the ship with everyone on board. But, my brothers and my sisters, what Satan did not count on, what this cultural conditioning system did not anticipate, what COVID-45 did not realize was that someone was asleep on the ship. Someone was in the stern, asleep on the ship. In our focus text in Mark 4, it tells us that on that day when evening had come, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Prior to this statement, Jesus was teaching a great crowd of people that had gathered around him. And the crowd was so large, the Bible tells us, that Jesus had to sit in a boat, push out a little bit from the shore, just to be able to teach and address all the multitudes that was there. It was during this moment that Jesus started teaching parables of the sower and the lamp on a stand and the parable of the growing seed and the parable of the mustard seed. And it is on this day that the Bible tells us, Jesus says to his disciples, we must now go to the other side. In verse 36, it states, and leaving the crowd behind. They took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great gale arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. So here we are after the profound teachings that Jesus gave. The disciples got him into a boat to go to the other side that Jesus told them they needed to go. Now to really understand what is happening here, we need to understand the significance of this term, the other side. You see, there's an other side that we need to get to. And Jesus wants us to get to the other side. You see, geographically. Geographically, Jesus had been teaching on the western side of the lake, which we call the, the Jewish side of the lake. When Jesus was out in that little boat talking to the multitudes, he was on the Jewish side of the lake. Or, to put it in more colloquial terms, they were on the clean side of the lake. But Jesus is saying, listen, we need to go to the other side, which is now not the western side, the Jewish side, the clean side. Jesus wants them to now go to the eastern side, which is now the Gentile side or the unclean side. We call this the unclean side. Why? Because if you read further on in the text, you'll find that when Jesus did, in fact, get to the other side, there was a demonic possessed man that came out from the tombs. This man was demon possessed. He was coming from the tombs and he was in a place where pigs were present. In other words, Mark is letting us know that the other side is a place where the Gentiles were, not the Jews. The other side was the place where pigs were, not the clean animals like sheep. The other side was the Gentile side. 
Not where there were homes and beds, but there were cemeteries and tombs. Jesus said we need to go from the Jewish side to the Gentile side. We need to move from that place of prosperity, if you will, and move to the place where people are marginalized, where people are undervalued, and where people are discounted. Jesus is saying we need to go to the other side. So the fact that Jesus was telling his disciples that they needed to go to the other side. Him being the light of the world is now going to go to a place where he's going to bring hope. He's going to bring peace. He's going to bring love. He's going to bring joy to a place where people are feeling despised, disenfranchised, disconnected, undervalued, and marginalized. Jesus is coming to bring hope. And guess what? The devil does not want Jesus to come. And so because the devil does not want you in this ship to get on board with Jesus, to get to the other side, to bring hope, what does the devil do? He does his best work. He sends something to destroy your ship. He sends something that's going to beat against the bows of the stern of the ship. But what the devil didn't know was that there was someone asleep inside the ship. This is the reason why the text tells us the storm rose up. The storm rose up to stop the work of the ministry. Listen, the moment you and I decide to face our challenges in life by changing even our own sinful patterns and decide in ourselves to live a more righteous life, believe me, you can expect a storm. The moment you decide to turn from darkness in your life to the light of life, brothers and sisters, in no uncertain terms, expect a storm. So if you're even going through a storm right now in your life, it's because you're on your way to the other side. Now you don't know how or in what form the storms will come. But the moment you decide to make that change in your life, believe me, brothers and sisters, the storms will come. And if you are on the verge of doing something that is going to be a great contribution to the progress in your life and in this world, if you are called to make a difference in this world in a great and powerful, mighty way, then expect a great, fierce, powerful, 125-mile-per-hour hurricane Gilbert, Katrina, and Sandy all at once to come raining down on your parade. But you must go to the other side. And this storm, when it comes, it comes sudden. Many of our journeys in life has many storms. Hearing our doctor say you've got cancer is a sudden storm. When your spouse is caught being unfaithful, it's a sudden storm. Sorry, but your job is being terminated or there's been an accident at work or an accident at your child's school. Believe me, these are sudden storms. And even today, as we stay here in the sanctuary preaching this message, COVID-19 is a sudden storm. But when these storms come, this is the time for you to be sure who is with you on your ship. This is the time to be very clear who is riding in that boat with you as you journey through the storm to make it to the other side. The text tells us, and leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. Other boats were with him. A great gale arose and the waves beat into the boat so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern asleep on a cushion, and they woke him and said to him, Teacher, Jesus, 
Do you not care that we are perishing? The text tells us that there's a cry of desperation. There is a panic in this prayer by the disciples. The text let us know that while they are out there, they are screaming and they're chanting and they're protesting, black lives matter. They're saying, where Jesus, how can you be asleep? As we rage through this particular storm, how could you possibly, Jesus, be asleep at this time? Do you not care that we are perishing? Lord, I have a major storm in my life. I am unemployed. Do you not care? My marriage is on the rocks. Do you not care? My home is being foreclosed on. Do you not care? I lost my retirement. Do you not care? I've been serving you and I still can't make ends meet. Do you not care? My child is facing a jail sentence. Do you not care? I am dying. Everything in my body is falling apart. Jesus, do you not care? I am depressed and I'm suicidal. Do you not care? The racist murderer killed my mother, my father, my grandmother, my son. Jesus, do you not care? Storms, storms, all kinds of storms. Jesus, do you not care? As I shared with you earlier, the point of the text is not the existence of storms. I'm not talking about storms. Storms come and storms go. They will always come in our lives. They are fierce and they rage with all their fury. But the real point of the text is who do you have with you in the midst of all the storms of your life? Who is with you on your boat when the raging storms of life come? Who is sleeping in your stern? Is it drugs or alcohol that you turn to to try to calm your storm? Is that who is sleeping in your stern? Do you turn to the lusts of your flesh to try to calm the storms in your life? Is that who is sleeping in your stern? Do you turn to materialism and overspending to try to calm the storms in your life? Is that who is in your stern? Or do you turn to excessive eating and gluttony just to try to calm the anxiety and the voices you're hearing? Is that who is in your stern? Well, I ask you today, plainly and simply, my brothers and sisters, if those are the ones who is in your stern, how is it working for you? Has it been working for you? Chances are the answer to the question is no, because we try to calm the storms in our lives by our own means. We try to think we can figure our way out of it. We think that we can go on this boat to get to the other side, whatever your other side might look like, thinking that when the storms come, you can just figure it out your own way. Well, you cannot do it your own way, because I'm telling you, if those are the gods you turn to, then I'm telling you, you are still and will forever remain in the various storms in your life. For if you're not getting any relief from those storms in your life because of those you're carrying in the stern of your ship, then I came to tell you it's time to try something else. The text tells us, but he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. That's what the text tells us. And they woke him up and said to him, teacher, do you not care? 
that we are perishing. He woke up. Ah, He woke up, the text tells us. He woke up, and when he got up, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. That's the text. He said to them, Why? Why, as he's saying to you right now, why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, I don't want to get too far into all the nuances and the details of the text, but the mere fact that they were asking, who is this that even the winds and the seas obey him, tells me that you've got someone on your ship and you don't know who it is. You see, that's what I love about Jesus. He, he, he'll come when you call him, but, you, but he's not going to come in when just because it's happening. But you've got to have faith. You've got to have some faith. You've got to exercise some faith and to call him because he's asleep on the ship. He's asleep on the ship. Now, now Jesus was asleep on the boat. Why? That's the question I asked in the beginning. Why would Jesus be asleep on the boat? You know why? Because Jesus had told them, we must go to the other side. Jesus gave them a word, which means that if Jesus tells you we must go to the other side, come hell or high water, hurricane or storms, racism or cultural conditioning, white fragility or white privilege, come whatever may be, you're going to get to the other side because Jesus gave you a word. And if he gave you the word, you can hang on to the word. You don't need any other word. You don't need a pastor or anyone else to tell you anything else. Jesus gave you the word. And Jesus says, you're going to get to the other side. My brothers and sisters, if Jesus is sleeping on your boat after telling you to go to the other side, then rest assured you're going to make it to the other side. You may be in a storm right now and you feel like life is going nowhere and there's nowhere for you to turn. You may feel like you're in a storm right now and feel like all hope is gone. You may be in a storm right now and feel like all hell is breaking loose around you. Well, I spent all this time in this message to tell you one thing and one thing alone and it's that if Jesus is in this ship, this ship called the church, the church of Jesus Christ. If you are in the church of Jesus Christ and you are going through a raging storm right now, there's a lion asleep in your stern. There's a lion asleep in your stern. And this lion, this lion, the text tells us, the Bible tells me, is the, is the firstborn of all creation. The, the, this lion is the king of kings and the lord of lords. This lion is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. This lion is, is the first and the last. This lion is the light of the world. This lion is the prince of peace. This lion is the son of God. And his name is Jesus. Wake him up. Wake him up. Wake him up, church. See, that's what we're doing when we protest. When we're out in the street marching 
for civil rights and for liberties and for justice were waking him up. When, you see, they never expected that there would be protests all over the world in the way that we're seeing it. He's waking up. You see, the lion is asleep and the lion is purring. But woe be unto those who speak against the lion of the tribe of Judah. For when he roars, heaven and earth will shake. But I love the fact that the text says after, after he woke up, this great lion, he did two things. He rebuked the wind and he spoke to the sea. He rebuked the wind and he spoke to the sea. Jesus is that great lion who's asleep in the heart of every believer. That's who Jesus is. He's in the heart of every believer. And this Jesus who is asleep in your boat, he is the deliverer. He's the good shepherd of the sheep. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the high priest. He is the great I am. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. And his name is Jesus. Jesus. See, Jesus knew that the storm was a spiritual storm. And that Satan wanted nothing more than to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus has all authority in his hand. Jesus has all power in his hand. And as long as he was on that boat, they were going to make it to the other side. By rebuking the wind and speaking to the sea, Jesus, our sleeping lion, was making it possible that you and I would make it to the other side. So I want to encourage you all today, my brothers and my sisters. This may be a difficult day for you as we celebrate and honor fathers. You may not have had a father in your life the way you would like it. And for, for, for others who we see in the news media who have lost their fathers, the Eric Garners and the Ahmad Arbery and the Rayshard Brooks, you name it. All of those who have lost fathers, I am telling you right now, those are really big storms. But someone is asleep on the boat. And even though that storm raged into Mother Emmanuel on this day that we celebrate the Emmanuel Nine, it took out nine people, but they made it to the other side. And how I know that to be true is simply because they were in Bible study and they had committed to inviting Jesus into their boat. So my message today is really quite simple. We will protest. We will go against every system of cultural conditioning that rears its ugly head. But we will not meet this with fear and trembling. We will not meet this with little faith. We will meet this with our sleeping lion. And our sleeping lion is the Lord Jesus Christ. But I can make that claim. And I can make that claim because I have asked the Lord Jesus to come into my heart for myself. Can you make that claim? Can you make that claim that the Lord Jesus Christ, the sleeping lion, resides in your boat? For the time will come when the door of the ark of that boat will be closed. And when that door is closed, if you are not in that ark, then when the rains come and the storms rage and the waters rise, then you have no hope. 
So today is a really good day for you to make a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ and say, you know what? I heard the preacher preach and I'm going through a storm in my life right now. And all the things that I have tried that in, in my boat have not worked and will not work. Let me invite Jesus into my boat. If that sounds like you today, if that sounds like a commitment you want to make today, then I invite you to join with me as I lead you in this prayer. This entire sermon has really been about trying to get you convinced to let Jesus be with you in your boat.